I've been using quite some software over the years, and much of it has made me angry, sad, and frustrated in not necessarily in that order. But lately I've come to appreciate, you know, software that makes me happy. Good software. Or, well, it doesn't have to be super good, but it makes me happy, and that's the important part. It's like this, uh, it sparks joy. Because it's either because it's very well crafted, or it does something very well, or the user interface is top-notch, or something like that, or just that it's quirky and I know it, and that makes me happy. So, I come to think about this when I used Trello for the first time in a year or something, and it was easy to use. They have uh, very well thought through hotkeys. So I can open a card, uh, look at it, and then press greater than to move it to the right on the board. Huh. I didn't know that. Cool, eh? <laughs> and I can push uh, less than to move it to the left on the board, and so on. And I can assign myself to it by pressing space, and so It's very... They've thought things through. So, I guess... <laughs> the unsolicited tip of the day is to Google uh, Trello keyboard shortcuts. It's a gold mine. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Yeah, so that's one example of software that makes me happy. I got a whole list here. I, I prepared for this <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> so, do you do you have any particular ones, or should I just go through my list? <laughs> uh, so, I will say, well planned shortcuts, or just realizing that there's a shortcut for something you always need to do, is just magic. Even if it's a web application. Shortcuts are dodgier in web applications just due to all, like, at any given point, you're probably selecting a text field. <laughs> but, yep. Uh, and then the, they usually don't work. But, for example, GitLab, which I use with a current client, that, that's been pretty decent software, actually, overall. But they have the I shot, I shot key. Yes, that's a shot key. No, the I hotkey for creating an issue and that works almost all the time the only case where i can't use it is when i'm at the sort of i think they call it the group level but it's above projects like an organizational level because it needs to know which project to put the issue in but just being able to quickly type out an issue and just hitting i for new issue is super neat and that's the kind of uh, shortcut that that just sticks. I don't usually look for shortcuts, but when I need to be do something repetitive, that's super important. And like I know the Gmail shortcuts that I use to the extent that I couldn't tell anyone what they are. <laughs> it's just all muscle memory. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, uh, good software. I mean, as you said, like well designed, pretty well thought out or just super competent in a particular thing or lets you achieve something that like it might even do a fairly poor job experience wise but lets you do the thing 
Yeah. It's like FFmpeg. I, I'm never happy about bringing out FFmpeg. But I'm very happy that FFmpeg exists because it, because it lets me do essentially anything to a video file. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but it's like I tried to learn FFmpeg by reading the man page. And that's that's just not possible. I always need to Google the combination of arguments I need to use. Yeah, like every encoder and every codec and everything has its own options. And there are a ton of things. I've started to learn parts of it because I've used it a fair bit. But yeah, but it's fantastic software. It's like I couldn't do half the things I do with video without it. So it's fantastic software, but it's not flawless software and it doesn't i don't think software typically has to be flawless and then there's things like appreciating a really nice dense tight tool like grep is a useful super useful tool and then there are sort of the improved variants like uh, silver searcher or rip grep that take it further for example but you might appreciate grep for always being there yep and that's that's sort of very neat unix philosophy type tool yeah it depends on which grep yeah <laughs> the gnu grep is has all the features and isn't <laughs> very unixy anymore but but that's a gnu philosophy on the other hand which basically is uh put all the features in yeah yeah instead of do one thing and do it well it's do all the things. Yeah. But that's sort of one end where it's, well, featureful things, but also there are these smaller tools that are neat because they only do one thing and they do it well. Yep. And some things that are like, oh, I never have to faff around with it. It just does the one thing or it sort of does a decent job of predicting what I want to do. Yep. For for a long while, Google Drive accidentally... No, I don't think it's accidental, but uh, Google Drive consistently managed to show me a document at the typical time of day that I usually checked it or needed it. Nice. And I assume that was some AI BS, but that was neat. So that's one way of making good software, like sort of predicting the user and trying to work with with whatever their cadences or designing sort of a very opinionated process that will serve the user. But I also remember one piece of software that I really appreciated when when it was, like before it got really bloated, but when it was still a super flexible, super powerful thing. So I think it was called a Sirius and it was a BitTorrent client. Oh, cool. And I think the BitTorrent clients before it were typically fairly limited or not that configurable and i remember this one was really really bells and whistles it's like old school software in the sense of almost like microsoft word or yeah i mean the 90s to 2000s era when when you had setting screens and everything yep uh, it was a java app and it was a in the long run i think they probably bloated it a bit much but it was a super nice piece of software at the point I discovered it. Like Firefox was similar. Yeah. Even though that was sort of lean when it came out. 
And then Chrome came out and was uh, lean for a while. <laughs> and now, I don't know, they are both just <laughs> crashing re- left, right and center. Yeah, humongous uh, applications backed by companies I have increasing disdain for. Yeah, one of the, the really nice programs, I'm, I like it a lot, even though it crashes my programs. It's called Early OOM. It's a small demon or something that checks how much uh, RAM are the processors using. And if they are starting to use too much RAM, they are killed instantly. And this is very useful when you're doing something in a lazy evaluated language. Because then (laughs) (laughs) you can... if, If you somehow misunderstand how just this piece of program works with regard to laziness, you might have something in a tight inner loop that just builds on thunks and suddenly your RAM memory is full and the computer Mm. stops answering. And since I'm... This is probably some kind of stupidity from my part, but I'm not using a swap partition. Hmm. I think it's because when I set up my computers, it was like, uh, don't use swap partitions on SSDs. They will make them start burning or summon demons or something. Uh, so when I run out of memory, I run out of memory hard. Yeah, then that's no fun. Yeah, which makes this early OOM much better. And it also lets me, both Firefox and Chrome are quite good at just unloading no let's take this again they are not good at unloading tabs but they are good at not loading them when they're starting Mm. so if i kill firefox and then restart it it doesn't matter that i have 300 tabs open yeah this might be a bad thing (laughs) oops oh well I do appreciate the screenshot functionality in Firefox, though. You can can pull out a small button with scissors on it. And then when you press that button, you get a small tool that you can select a part of the screen and copy it. I didn't know they had a snip tool in Firefox. They have. Like I, I use the snip tool in Linux. Oh, cool. And on Mac. Like Mac has a built-in one. Yeah. Okay, but now I'm curious because you brought a list, so give me something. Okay, let's let's go from the top to the bottom. Uh, rip grep, of course, and the feature. There are two features I really like about rip grep. The first one is colors, uh, kind of tasteful colors too, so it won't make your eyes bleed, and also that it reads dot uh, git ignore dot docker ignore and so on, and don't go into. Uh, those folders yeah that saves me a lot yeah actually that's probably the biggest reason i should pick that up like i use silver search and i think it does the same yep but there's nothing quite as annoying as grepping for something and catching uh, your entire no- node modules in the process. <laughs> it's like oh yep. uh, <laughs> i'll pipe that through grip dash v min dot js i guess like move <laughs> everything that's was a mini, miniaturized file or yeah a file exactly yeah, uh, it's inconvenient 
And you can also uh, go dash t and like dash t pi, for instance, to search only in Python files. And that's kind of nifty, but you have to learn all those uh, short names for the different file formats. So that's less nifty. Then something like using find to get all the files ending in .py is also... You could also do that and pipe that to grep or something. I don't know. Yeah. So so rip grep. Uh, I'm typically using the silver searcher just because that was the first one of these improved greps I I stumbled upon and installed, and so I got used to it. Cool. And I hear rip grep is slightly better, but haven't tried it properly. Yeah, I I changed to rip grep when I had my Rust period. I'm not coding any Rust right now or really consuming anything from the community but i was for a couple of years also another tool like that you know there's there's a meme that rust programmers the only thing they do is to rewrite c tools in rust this is true it is uh, (laughs) in the best of ways i love all the rust programmers (laughs) because they made rip grip they also made bat which is cat with wings yeah, I've heard of that one. Uh, I haven't tried it. It's nice. It it gives uh, you uh, syntax highlighting and a pager. So, <laughs> so it's it's uh, less less plus syntax highlighting. Yeah, I think variants of less have that, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's good enough for the syntax highlighting and everything else that it just it makes me happy. Yeah, can it still, I guess, bombatinate files? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. It does, like a bombat. Very uh, rare Australian uh, mammal. Ah, that makes yeah. sense. So, yeah, two of the programs on my list. You want to have? Uh, you want to hear about some more? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the next one is is um, you might be expecting might not be expecting this one because it's well let me say it's vim shocking neo vim in my case but vim yeah absolutely and i think one of the reasons is because i've never been able to exit vim so it's my editor of choice and um, also because of the grammar the idea that uh, when you're in normal mode you can input a movement or a move and then a command and then maybe some stuff more and it's super powerful yeah yeah i I really like using vim so my situation right now is that i'm using vim mode in uh, visual studio code which i don't love because for one thing uh, control r is broken (laughs) oh why so i undo and then i can't redo because (laughs) it's bound to something else and it doesn't work oh man and i haven't bothered to fight it it's like uh, if i can't use the defaults like i'm not prob yeah yeah i don't spend a lot of time configuring my stuff if i can avoid it these days because i keep throwing it out and or like delightful perfect configurations break all the time yep and yeah it's not where i want to focus but i do prefer working in vim much of the time not all of the time compared to to your typical text editor but i also spend a lot of time working with people with sort of uh, and visual studio live share 
the live share extension is extremely useful for pairing and all of that. Nice. So so I end up there and it's like slightly the worst of both both worlds, but I can barely function if I can't sort of shift V and J J J J J D <laughs> Exactly. K K K K K K K P <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Which for for reference then uh, whenever I need to move some code. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to mouse around and I navigate pretty quick uh, with vim bindings compared to compared to keyboard bindings and having to have home and end bound or something to make it yeah uh, vim is good home row home row centric saves a lot of moving my hands around yeah it's generally made a made an impact on my rsi whenever i've Whenever I had a flare of that, I've typically reverted to Vim when I've been elsewhere. <laughs> cool. Another thing I think is really nice with Vim is that it's really fast. There's no electron there. It's just, well, quite good C, I suppose. I haven't looked at it, but it's fast. There, there's tons of electrons involved, though. Yeah, of course. The good kind. <laughs> <laughs> you want a ton of them you want just the one <laughs> yeah. I only have one electron <laughs> I don't believe in parallel processing I want it to be sequential yeah, I would love to have interop with live sharing between like Vim and Visual Studio Code wow that, yeah. that's what I would have liked to have it's just oh yeah, it's rough to to go back to it. I guess I could try something like, I guess Tuple is one of those pairing things. I know it's a SaaS product thing for pairing. And I know there are a ton of different tools that sort of solve it for Vim, but it, I haven't seen a proper solution that I feel confident about. And I can't really force my team members to... To commit to them. <laughs> uh, that seems like a tall order. Yeah. Like it, you it, really have to have some spare time to get situated with them. Yeah. It will start with, hello there, fellow kids. <laughs> and then, yeah. Okay, so what's next? What's next? What's next is tectonic. And this is... An interesting one. Tectonic is a modern take on uh, tech and uh, latech. So it's... So is it tectonic? No, because no? they are they are reasonable that way. Uh, they have specifically written it out on uh, the readme that it's pronounced without strange... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... And so it suddenly makes uh, tech much more user-friendly, which is amazing uh, because tech is super powerful and it's like made out of burning knives. Uh, it's not user-friendly at all, but it's, I guess it's a bit like them. When you know it, you're quite, you get quite dangerous with it. Uh, so I do a lot of, things with tech like uh, I do my invoices when I send them 
so I have some templates for that. I do. I write minutes using Tech. That's quite nice um, because it has all these. It's very good at references, so I can reference some other document in a nice way or reference an attachment. A an B log. A must. There must be a good English word for this. Yeah, that's an attachment. <laughs> that's an attachment. Good. My English brain is uh, not <laughs> completely booted up today. I don't think it's a bylaw. <laughs> bylaw. Yeah. Uh, that's a. I mean, that's a word. It's just this means something different. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about a really bad Swinglish word when I was out traveling. Bilaga. Bilaga. Yeah, that sounds... If I ever play another barbarian, orc barbarian in Dungeons & Dragons, uh, she'll be named Bilaga. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, yes, Brassglap is another <laughs> word. That I think that's be. goblin, though. Yeah, absolutely. So I've tried Tech for... Or Latech, at least. Yeah. For... Um, in generating an invoice at some point where I just I wanted a PDF out of a web system and uh, it needed to be ni- nicely enough formatted but I didn't want to sort of do an HTML to PDF thing because WK HTML to PDF is not a lightweight solution <laughs> <laughs> it's it brings chromium I believe or at least webkit yeah webkit back in the yeah, day it brings the webkit browser thing yeah but yeah uh i didn't learn it then <laughs> rather i had an intern build find a decent enough base template and then i had them monitor uh modify it so i didn't even touch it much cool i just waved about and complained if it wasn't correct <laughs> Also known as management. Exactly. <laughs> Leveling up management skills. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what's next? What's next? You're, you're, so far, I would say you're straight in Unix land. Uh, you're slightly m- more modern than sort of university-only, uh, curmudgeonly Unix professor. Yep. You, you've updated to that and rip grip. Yep, but you're still you're still very much comp sci tools. Yeah, I still use grep too. So also there's another amazing tool, Pandoc. Oh yeah, <laughs> when you can't do tech. Exactly. Or when you when you hope that you could turn that HTML into PDF, it never works, but but <laughs> it's an amazing tool anyway. So what is it Pandoc does? Because I've heard it recommended for a number of ways of generating documents. Yeah. And it seems to do a lot of different things. Is this FFmpeg for documents? Yeah, basically. It's a document compiler. So it parses a document and then does transformations on the AST, I suppose, and then outputs something. And sometimes it works and it generally doesn't. Uh, <laughs> so I, I imagine it's much like it's probably very reliable from markdown to other things for example where which is where i've seen it recommended yes markdown to pdf very good yeah markdown to html i think is very good markdown to text is also quite good <laughs> markdown to text 
Yeah. That that generates text. Yeah. I I kind of uh, hit my head on something and wrote a small system that lets you write mail templates in Markdown and then they are compiled to text and HTML using Pandoc. But I don't think you need to compile Markdown to text. It's already text. Ah, it's even more text when you compile it. <laughs> more text is better, right? But the point of Markdown is that it's decently readable. Yeah. Raw text. But then then I can't <laughs> use use like one dot in all the lists. Oh, okay. Every every item in a list should be one. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Okay, that's that's <laughs> just got slightly sidetracked. But but yeah, I should pa- try Pandoc for some things at some point. Yeah, it seems seems really interesting. I I ran into there was a talk at one yeah when I was at ElixirConf in Prague. Yep. They spoke about like a project with ingesting a bunch of documents and that da 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 like the the talk was fine i think it was about broadway and message queues nice. but they mentioned using what was it called there was an apache project and i think it was something like thrush or something yeah i've heard of it uh but it was able to turn and essentially, it would parse any document into text, I think, for uh, for when you want to make something searchable, essentially. Hmm. I wonder... So is this an Apache project? Because it sounds a bit like Google's Tesseract, OCR Tesseract, which is one of the better OCR solutions. It wasn't Thrift, because that's an RPC thing. Yeah. Thrush, isn't that the bad guys in the man from Uncle? <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Don't remember what it was called. But that was sort of an example of a type of system or application I'm super thankful that someone built and I don't have to. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Where it's just like this does a thing for you. <laughs> yeah. And you don't really have to like you can just lean on this for this particular use like i wish there was more great text to speech or and speech to text tools like that there are a number of them but like super varying super varying quality just because it's a it's a tricky problem and like you need it to get it good you really need it to be to be built out for a number of different uses yeah uh, different languages different goals and like that that's expensive and really hard to do in an open fashion yep there's a lovely talk uh about or by someone who does perl programming using a uh, speech-to-text interface i'll see if i can find it yeah i think it's a strange loop talk because they are strange did you find the <laughs> The tool that did document something something. I'm trying to, but I'm not sure I'm gonna gonna resolve here. Yeah. No, no. This this promise never returned. Anything. Indeed, it's, it's hanging there. Yeah. So it's, what's next? What's do next? we have more on this list? We have more on this list. I can go on forever. 
It's a Merbius strip. Uh, so the next one is Git. And Git is in the same same um, category, kinda, like uh, Vim and Tech, because it's the user interface for Git is absolutely horrible. The underlying data model is amazing, and when it has been, been explained to me, it's quite easy to understand. But using it is... <laughs> whoa, it takes some years to get proficient in Git. On the other hand, it takes about two days to become, you know, maybe like being able to commit stuff. Yeah, So and <laughs> the alternative, so to speak, is so much worse. <laughs> uh, not having Git... Yeah, I won't pretend that Git is is the only option. Like, from what I've heard, Mercurial could have just been straight better than Git in some ways. I don't know the de- details and nuances of it, but like, there are other options than yep. Git. But if we look at what Git replaced, Subversion was the dominant sort of trendiest option when Git came along. Yeah, and it was nowhere near as flexible. In some ways, I think it might have been more beginner-friendly than Git because it was much, much stricter. Yeah, and simpler. Because in Subversion, you check out a file and then you work on it and then you commit it and it goes straight to the server again. In Git, you can... Well, you clone everything, and then you can muck about with all the files until you're happy, and then you push against a remote, and that remote can be another clone on your hard drive, or it can be your repository, or... Yeah, like, Git is a distributed system. (laughs) Yes, and that distribution makes things very interesting. Yeah, uh, and I'm happy I learned Git while that was still relevant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it helps to know these things and know that GitHub and GitLab are not Git itself. Indeed. They are simply remotes uh, yep. that provide a lot of useful utility on top of Git. But Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Git is one of those, those amazing tools. Uh, one of those amazing tools that uh, it's pretty bad, but the the alternative is far far worse. Yeah, and also what what many of these uh, programs I've I've uh, enumerated so far have in common are that they are there's no real knowledge ceiling or what's the what's the word for it? You can spend an infinite amount of time honing your skills using these tools. So there's no real limit on how good you can become at Git. Or tech, for that matter, or Vim. But you don't have to. You can just go along on the skill level you are right now. Yeah. And I'm I'm combining those two, trying to share uh, the weekly <laughs> command line from Git or Vim or something. Uh, something that made me happy. Maybe I should start blogging. Um, Probably. Yeah. So, okay, I have more programs for you. SQLite. Oh, I really like SQLite. Yeah, it's so good. I'm super curious to actually, at some point, try their source control. 
because they, of course, if you build your own database, you can't build it without building your own source control for it. <laughs> yeah, he got fed up with Git or something, and then he built his own. Yeah, and it it has a bunch of neat features. He spoke about it in some depth on the changelog at some point, I think. Cool. It's, it seems really neat. It has a web interface, like you, you just go, you, you run this, this source control command and you can essentially get your your local GitHub-y sort of web interface for for handling your version system. And then you can sync it up to whatever this sort of central thing is. Nice. I'm super curious about how they're doing syncing and sort of a distributed-ish model with backed by SQLite databases because like relational databases and syncing is not trivial indeed but but yeah sqlite is super cool yeah and sometimes it might be the only the only database you need exactly more should look into sqlite and use it more i think yeah i'm super keen to try it in more sort of heavy production or at least light production uses so i know it can scale very far on a single node essentially Yep, but something I've also seen recently is the Lightstream project, which is a streaming replicator for SQLite. So it hooks into the write-ahead log API for SQLite. Cool. And replicates typically to S3 or similar. Yep. Which means that you get some kind of failover replication you don't get failover i guess you could build failover if you want to but if your node gets uh, blasted accidentally deleted entirely and the drive your sqlite lives on like sqlite is just a file uh, yep. it's a it's a library that writes and reads a typical a, a specific kind of file and if you lose that file your database is gone <laughs> Exactly. And that has an issue, or that's a problem for sort of SaaS products that would maybe benefit from using it. But something like Lightstream makes that very uh, very reasonable and very manageable in that you, you get that safety, the safety net. That's probably all you need because files don't spontaneously combust all that often. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> yeah i'm also curious about how sort of many how much resource you could save if you have a sort of multi-tenant product that you've built like uh, so multi-tenant with each customer having their own database hmm. and it's like oh yeah okay this customer is using using the application again let's just make sure that we have their sqlite on a server somewhere <laughs> Uh, and oh, they haven't used it for for a week now. Like some, if you have that kind of usage pattern, yeah. Like ah, let's just uh, make sure that we've uh, f synced to the last write. Essentially, uh, SQLite does that for you. But let's make sure that Lightstream is up to scratch, and then we can just shut that database down. <laughs> yeah, you can. Can there's an architecture for elixir apps where you put each customer in a process so then each customer process could have its own database too yeah 
Yeah, and the, that would be super interesting because it's not unreasonable to manage a couple of thousand files. Indeed, uh, especially if they never really become that large. Yeah, you run them on some NVMe SSD type drives and you can have ridiculous performance. Yep, yeah. or put them in memory if they're small enough. Oh yeah, actually tempfs, so you have the SQLite databases in memory and then just uh, replicate them to live stream, so you have exactly <laughs> so you have persistence. Yes, that would be that would be pretty nasty. Yeah, that sounds like something that needs to be tried. Yeah, I'm super curious to try some stuff with Rabbit MQ streams as well. I I had the opportunity to interview a couple of the team members from Rabbit MQ. And they did this recently, launched their persistent sort of event store as part of RabbitMQ. Mm -hmm. So compared to SQLite, RabbitMQ is a beast, uh, yep. but it's it's a sort of a known quantity. And if you're if you're using an open source queue, odds are fairly high that you're using RabbitMQ. Yeah. And now they added essentially a light version of Kafka on top of it. Oh, lovely. I thought Kafka and RabbitMQ were kind of the same, but written in different languages and maybe some different trade-offs. So Kafka is focused on, as far as I know, Kafka has always had the sort of focus on the time-travelable persistent stream. Okay. Where you can say, oh, I want this time slice. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. It might be that they also have sort of transient events and all of that. But RabbitMQ has typically dealt with, uh, like you put a message on a queue, uh, reading it is essentially destructive, or rather you read it and maybe you have to acknowledge it, but it's for distributing work by keeping queues and messages. Cool. While RabbitMQ streams yep. does persist the entire history. So you can say, oh, I want all the messages or other events that occur between these two times or between these two messages, I'm sure. Uh, I bet there are a number of ways to slice it, but yeah. But you can essentially rerun history, which is super useful if you're doing some kind of event sourcing setup. Nice. But I've also heard that managing Kafka is a pain in the neck and RabbitMQ is probably a little bit easier. Cool. RabbitMQ is written in Erlang, right? Yep. Nice. And it, <laughs> I wonder why I think it should be easy to manage. Mm, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just I just have that that uh, idea that everything written in Erlang is easy to manage. You just start it and then let it crash and then it reboots. Cool. <laughs> or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if someone wrote it right. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the next next program on my list is uh, the great big cousin of SQLite, Postgres, because Postgres can do anything. Basically, uh, it has has always had all the features and has been a really nice database for a very long time. Yeah. But it needs to run as a database too. And you just can't shove it into a program somewhere and hope for the best, like you can do with SQLite. Yeah. So yeah, and there are are uh, quite a lot of extensions and other nice things that let you do, that let you turn Postgres into almost another database. Yeah. So we the two that come to mind for me Post GIS so 
geographic information systems that seems to be the go-to like oh we need to deal with maps and locations and that kind of bs yep and then you use that and then you can do things like query uh, I want all the records that are within this distance from one another. <laughs> or Yeah, that's cool. Which is sort of absurd and very cool. Um, and then I've heard of Timescale DB. Yep. Which makes, uh, which lets you set up Postgres tables that are well suited to. Uh, what are those types of data called? Time series? Like, yeah, time series, exactly. Uh, I pull a sensor or something every, once in once every second and just save it. Uh, there's a book about <laughs> using timescale DB with nerves and elixir and so on. Um, I think you were some kind of reviewer of it. Yeah, have you read it? I read 50% of it. So oh, I yeah. guess it's the good part left. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it good yet? Alex it, will be so upset. It has been amazing so far. So I'm, I have high hopes. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw your name <laughs> in the beginning of it. Too. I, I did review that. The author, or authors, so that's Alex, Kutmos, yeah, Frank Hanleth and uh, Bruce Tate yep. were the ones involved. And Alex was the one doing most of the writing. I think Bruce was involved in sort of more making sure the writing was sane and happened oh cool like he's been involved in a lot of books i don't know exactly what his job was in this one but i know alex was the main author yeah and frank was the nerves uh, know-how and got, made sure that alex didn't screw screw up anything with the hardware or the framework and made sure that was as approachable as possible on the electronic side yeah they had a heck of a time with that book just because all the components run out. Oh, bad timing. Yeah, everywhere. And they've looked up like, oh, these are decent alternates that you could replace it with. And you could do <laughs> this with these or these. And then those run out. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a rough time to write a book that involves hardware. But yeah. the timescale stuff seemed very straightforward. And I th guess the reason is that for that extension is that performance is just uh, a lot better with uh, with timescale db for that kind of workload i know there's so a type of data store i wasn't aware of before i re read uh, designing data intensive systems was the let's see is it columnar store or columnar database i i think so the the really old school ones yeah i believe that's the ones that are also very well suited for when you do need to do math to a lot of things or other when your access pattern is not i need these records but rather i need these the values from these fields and i want to do operations across all of them so i need to summon an average uh the uh, like the prices that someone paid uh, historically or or something then you you don't really care to fetch all the records. You might want to f sort of filter filter out certain time periods and stuff, but making the operations. So I, from what I gather, it's just that they they flipped it <laughs> a little bit. So they flipped yeah. uh, your typical table into the opposite structure, 
and that gives it different properties that are well suited for sort of data lakes and doing data things to it and mangling the numbers and values more than more than particularly recalling the fields and recalling the particular records because that's less efficient cool and i thought that was neat and then i heard oh someone's built a sqlite compatible column store Ooh. so what i understood that they do and i haven't i haven't checked entirely how they do it the sqlite author said they use and uh, they use the sqlite client and i'm like but that's the entire thing. <laughs> but no, I, I guess the SQLite application or the SQLite libraries are uh, slightly layered. <laughs> so there might be a client in there and there might be an engine or similar part does the data stuff. And yep. like they've replaced the data stuff with a column store huh. that works similarly to SQLite in, in like it's a single file and all of that. Cool. But the interface to it is still the same. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, it seems interesting. Uh, I think it's called DuckDB. <laughs> DuckDB, yeah. Oh, cool. We need one of those. Absolutely. Okay, I have two things left on my list. I think I've spoken about both of them before. The first one is Enter, E-N-T-R. You pipe... Uh, some file names into it or some paths into it that you want it to monitor and then it runs the command you give it every time one of those files change that's all it does uh, so we're we're still in the do one thing do it well unix land i actually need need one of those probably because i keep forgetting what the args are for for doing that whenever i need to <laughs> uh, like there there's a ton of different tools that can do it but most of them want to want me to input a bunch of arcane nonsense to like oh which things do you want to react to and blah, 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 blah. yeah this is this is very simple pipe stuff you want pipe the files you want to observe into it and then maybe use the argument dash c because then it clears the screen before it runs things it's a very small c program i believe it's very good it brings me joy every time i use it nice <laughs> 